to uh, many who had a part in the men's retreat. Um, I would encourage you to possibly listen to Eric's lessons. They would be on our podcast uh, formats, not uh, on our YouTube page or Facebook page. We just made a recording and then uploaded them to the places that we put uh, our sermons only on podcasts. I might encourage you not to because I told him I was going to steal most of it and use it in lessons uh, maybe very soon. But uh, very, very good lessons for our men on the idea of fellowship and something that I think we all would be benefited to consider. Um, but we're thankful for all those who had a part in that and uh, just thankful for this great congregation and so many things that are done. Uh, Brian joked about those who were getting older. I feel like I do need to make one clarification that is probably my fault. Uh, not only were there folks getting older or younger in the bulletin, but there's also someone that we brought back from the dead and then killed again. And uh, some of you may have paid attention. That's uh, Brother N.B. Hardiman, who's uh, died about, about 60 years ago, I think. And that was, that was my fault. Uh, N.B. Hardiman did. Some of you know that name because he's part of the namesake for Freed Hardiman. It was Hardiman Nichols was uh, the brother that passed away about a week or so ago. Uh, and again, I announced that, so I'll, I'll take the blame uh, for that. may have said the wrong thing, um, but for those who may be watching online or heard that, may have said, that doesn't sound right. I don't think that he's been alive for, for many years now, but uh, that was just a mix-up on the name. But our brother Hardiman Nichols, who, of course, carries that name Hardiman, and we're thankful for that good uh, family and, and the preaching that they've done over the years. And so we wanted to make mention of that, but did want to make that correction uh, as well. You know, it's said we're in the middle, of course, here in the South. We're here in the middle of football season. It's football season all across the country, right? But here in the South especially, it seems like it's something that everybody appreciates and really has their teams, whether it be college or pro, that they support. You know, one thing that happens in football season, in particular for many coaches, it, of course, steps up as you get a little bit of a step up in the level. You know, a, a middle school coach is different than a high school coach, is different than a, a college coach who is different from someone who maybe coaches UTC that may be different from an Alabama or a, a Tennessee or even a professional coach. But one thing that coaches do is they spend a lot of time working. And they spend a lot of time watching what we call film, right, highlights or, or game tape. It's estimated that some coaches may spend upwards of, of at least 10 to 14 or 15 hours a week watching film, watching game film. If you think about it, those of you and, and us who have worked 40-hour 40, 40 weeks, roughly 40-hour week, weeks in our job, you know, that's at least a third or so of the work week spent watching game film. Well, that's one reason for that, of course, is to go back and watch what your team has done. You know, here's what we did, here's what we could do better, here's where we could improve, but a good bit of that probably each week is spent watching film of your opponent, of the team that's, that's coming up, the next team that you're going to play, or even future teams sometimes, but it helps to watch and understand our opponent and what they are going to do. If you have your outline or a bulletin in front of you there this morning, you've noticed that we're going to talk about an opponent. The common opponent that we all share, we're going to in both lessons that we're going to look at today if you're able to be with us, but we must notice that it is important, it is imperative that we understand our opponent, the devil. We know that Peter would say, first of all in 1 Peter 5 and verse 8, that we are to be sober. Some people listen, hear that, they, they read that and they think about alcohol only. You know, that we need to be sober, not consuming alcoholic beverages that, that can distort our mind. And, and there's a sense that's, that's true, but it's being aware, being able to comprehend and take in a situation. We are to be sober, to be vigilant, because our adversary, our opponent, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. I ask you to turn to John chapter 8, and we're told there in John eight forty four, Jesus says, You are of your father the devil. 
speaking to those who are questioning him, those who are causing him grief, he says, you are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. The, the devil is a liar from the very beginning. And it is important that we understand that and we do our best to know our opponent. Now, I gave you one correction in the bulletin already, but I was told that I'd already misspelled something in the bulletin. But some of you know where we're going already with the title this morning, The Knots in the Devil's Tail. Now, we usually, as we think about our opponent, we think of maybe a little small character or a little red character that has a tail and sometimes it's pointed on the end as, as that's been described in, in cartoons or movies or things. This idea of the devil or a devil, we're going to talk about his tail, but his T-A-L-E, the tales that he tells. And we're going to talk about not a physical knot that you can tie, but the knots in the devil's tail. I'd like for us to look at about four or so this morning. I've got, I think, seven total. We may not make it to them all We'll keep an eye on the time, and what we don't get to, we'll try to cover this afternoon. If you have your uh, bulletin and you've seen the title, this afternoon I had kind of intended for us, and we still will a little bit, but maybe to focus on some current ideas, some current things, uh, and ways in which there are some knots in the devil's tail. But this morning, let's take a look at several of these and notice some of these knots. Number one, the first one is, there is not a God. There is not a God. That is one of the knots in the devil's tail. We know this to be the case because he would have us to believe, and it seems very common in the world, that people would say, there is not a God. Now, that's not certainly the message of the Bible. And you know what's interesting about this first knot is that the devil himself doesn't even believe this, right? James chapter 2 and verse number 19 James 2.19, James would write and say, You believe that there is one God, you do well, even the demons believe and tremble. So while the devil would have you believe, he would take scripture and twist it to say that there is not a God, even he doesn't believe that. We think about, of course, his interaction with Jesus and how he had an opportunity to tempt him. He believes there is a God, but he would have us believe that there is not a God. The one who believes this, the person who believes this, is a fool, of course. Psalms 14 and verse number 1. <coughs> Excuse me. Psalm 14 and verse number 1. The psalmist records, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. You've heard me say that before. I often quote it to make mention of the fact that if you're not careful in reading the Bible, the Bible says there is no God. Right? If you take that verse and split it up, the Bible says there is no God. But actually, in context, it says that the fool is the one who has said this. And notice, as if you might have turned to pay attention there to that verse, the fool has said it in his heart. Here's the point. Many people will say it with their mouth, but many people don't say it with their mouth, but they believe it in their heart, and they show it forth with their actions because they believe it in their heart. The fool doesn't have to say it out loud. Oh, oh, sure, we've got YouTube. We've got a platform, we've got podcasts and the internet where people can broadcast it, but they don't have to always broadcast it to everyone. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. We know ultimately, of course, that the evidence of God is overwhelming. Do you remember in Romans chapter 1, verses 19 and 20? Romans 1, 19 and 20. 
Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. They're clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. When we think about the world around us, when we look around, we're thankful for God's revealed will. I think we've talked about this in some lessons recently. We're thankful that he has given us his word, the word by which we can know him and we can know how to be saved. But have you ever thought about, maybe you weren't raised, or if you weren't raised in a home in which the Bible was taught, what would you think as you grow, as you get older and look around at the way in which this world works? We would hopefully look at it and say, well, there must be a creator. There must be a designer because there is design. The evidence of God is overwhelming as we look around us. Yet the devil, one of the knots in the devil's tail, is he would have us believe this tale that there is not a God. Even though clearly that's not what the Bible says. Number two, the second knot in the devil's tail is you will not be lost. You will not be lost. Isn't it true that that is where it all begins for us, right? We usually think about Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 4 as we think about Eve in the garden and Adam and Eve there. God had told them very plainly, the day that you eat of the fruit, of this forbidden fruit as we say, you shall surely die. You know, this lesson, this outlines when I borrowed from someone who I think borrowed it from someone else. And as I was kind of doing some research, I think there have been other articles that have been written. Lots of people have considered this kind of idea or this kind of title. And the reason, of course, is because of Genesis here, chapter 3, in the very beginning. Because we see that all the devil had to do was add a knot. The knot in the devil's tail. God said it very plainly, you shall surely die. And all the devil had to do was add that knot and say, you shall not surely die. That's what he would have us believe when he says, you will not be lost. We think as well about Isaiah chapter 59 verses 1 and 2. The devil would have us say, sin does not separate you from God. Right? I mean, there are so many verses and we're going to look at a bunch this morning as we continue to go through. But each time God says something, the devil simply has to throw that knot in there. Isaiah talks about this fact that our sins separate us from God. And all the devil says is, no, that's not the case. Your sin doesn't separate you from God. You may have sin in your life right now, and you you came. You're here this morning. You continue to live, so surely your sin does not separate you from God. We think about Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. He would have you believe that all have not sinned. We know that Paul would write there, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But the devil's not is, you won't be lost. And, you know, not all have sinned, right? This idea that that you're a sinner and and I'm a sinner, we're all sinners, so that's not not a big deal. Not not everybody, maybe, has, has sinned. And so, you know, you just keep doing the best you can. Don't worry about things. It's not a big deal because you will not be lost. And, of course, we think about Revelation chapter 22 and verse 14. Blessed are they, the devil would have us believe, that do not do his commands. We're right here at the very end of Scripture, Revelation 22, verse 14 says, Blessed are those who do his commands that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. The devil says, Blessed are they that do not his commands. Don't you like to have fun? 
Don't you like to enjoy this life? You'll be blessed if you do not do his commands because you will not be lost. See, it's easy as we think about scripture. There are many knots in the devil's tail that he would have us believe. Number one, there is not a God. Number two, you will not be lost. Number three, there is not just one way. There is not just one way. Once again, this is absolutely contrary to Scripture. We know that in Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 3 through 6, Paul talks about that there is one body, one faith. There's one body and one spirit, excuse me, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. I would ask you, and you might ask yourself, how much plainer does Paul have to be? He says there is one. There is one faith, and there is one body. Yet we look around us, and we don't have to travel to California, or to New York, or to Florida, or anywhere else. We don't have to travel very far down the road here in Saudi Daisy. And we would see that many people don't believe this, that there is just one way, because everybody makes their own way. The devil would have us believe there is not one body. There is not one faith. You remember the words of Jesus in John chapter 14 and verse number 6. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Yet the, the world, our country in particular as well, even our government to some extent would have us believe that you just, you believe what you want to believe. That if you believe in Jesus, that he's the way, that's fine. If you want to believe in Muhammad, that's fine. If you want to believe in someone else, that's fine. But there is not one way, one truth, and one life. That is certainly a knot in the devil's tail. You do not need to be in one religion. Do you remember in the true Lord's Prayer in John chapter 17? <coughs> Excuse me, John 17, the whole chapter, but specifically verses 20 through 21, Jesus gives us the true Lord's Prayer because he prays here for so many things, including the believers, all believers, and he talks about this idea of unity. I encourage you to go and to read that, to read it often, to think about this, the fact that he prays for him, himself, he prays for his disciples, and he prays for all believers. And he says, my prayer is that they may be one. So why is it then that we continue to believe that everybody's okay to do whatever they want to do? You believe what you want to believe, I'll believe what I want to believe. And the answer is, there's a knot in the devil's tail. He says, there is not just one way. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I want you to notice here, because, again, so many people follow this and, and believe this idea, yet in this passage alone, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 10, notice in this verse, one verse, Paul says it at least five different times, five different ways. Now I plead with you, also using that word, that idea of begging, I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we've already covered a good portion of the verse, five ways that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions, that you may be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Five different ways he emphasizes in just these few short words that we need to speak the same thing. And the knot in the devil's tail is that you don't, you don't have to. It's not a big deal. Do you remember this particular passage going down to verse number 12? Paul expounds a little bit, and he says they've got fan clubs, right? They've got groups. 
and they've got this fandom, so to speak, as we begin, we think about Alabama fans or, or Tennessee fans or whatever your team might be. He says, some people say, well, I'm of Apollos or, or I'm of Cephas or I'm of Paul. Everybody's got their own group and you're divided and you're walking around with your chest puffed out wearing a badge saying, well, I've got my Cephas badge on today because I'm of Cephas. I don't know about you, but, but you should come be of Cephas, not Paul. And they're divided and they're not speaking the same thing. And so Paul has to beg them, plead with them that it is important that there is just one way and there is one thing that we need to be speaking. The body is one. But the devil would say the body's not one, it's many. It's okay. There may be a congregation here, there may be a church down there, there may be a denomination over here. It doesn't matter if you've got 500 in the same city, it's not a big deal. Everybody just do what they want to do because there is not just one way. Very quickly, let's notice together that sometimes the devil actually unties, if you will, the knots that God has there. Look in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18. Sometimes the devil puts knots in his tail. Sometimes he unties God's knots. Do you remember in Matthew 16 and verse 18? Jesus says, and I also say to you, to Peter... That you are Peter, and on this rock, not Peter, but on the statement that he had just made, back up in verse number 16, but you are Peter, and on this statement, this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Here's one of those cases where the devil actually unties God's knots because he says the gates of Hades shall prevail against it. What about Acts chapter 4 and verse number 12? Do you remember there that as Peter and John are addressing the Sanhedrin, Peter says, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name given under heaven, give, under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There's no other name. The devil unties that and says, again, not a big deal. You want to pick Muhammad? You want to pick somebody else? That's fine. Because there are other names whereby you can be saved. And he begins to try to untie what God has said. When the devil is untying the knots that God has done, he's simply trying to get us to believe that it's not a big deal. God is simply being too harsh and we just need to untie those things. That's, that's just too far. We don't need to do that. The devil has many knots. There is not a God. You will not be lost. There is not just one way. Number four. He would have us to believe that salvation is not a big deal. Salvation is not a big deal. As we think about this in particular, we think about it in regards to God's word. There are some knots in Satan's tail regarding God's word. You know, in John chapter 8 and verse number 32, Jesus makes that great statement, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Satan says the truth shall not make you free. Because he would also say, Jesus would say in John 17 and verse 17, again going back to that prayer, that great prayer, John 17, 17, sanctify them by your truth, your word is truth. So the knot in the devil's tail here regarding God's word and salvation is that God's word is not truth. You can't trust this dusty, old, outdated book. Do you mean to tell me that I can't marry whoever I want to marry? That, that, that I can't do whatever I want to do? That must be old. That must be the way that we used to do things. And that cannot be 
the truth. That's the knot in the devil's tail regarding the word of God that would have us to seem like, you know, we just shrug our shoulders at it. It's something that doesn't really affect us. And you know, if they want to do what they want to do, and this group wants to do what it wants to do, we'll do what we want to do, and that'll just be fine. Because God's word is not truth, as the devil would have us to believe. Friends, that's a, a shaky ground to stand upon. And we know that one day we will stand before God, and it won't stand at that time. That we will fall, that we will be sentenced to eternal punishment if we do not follow his word and his truth, and we simply do whatever we feel is right. This is, of course, one of the ways in which the world has attacked us, even as we kind of, again, this is kind of what I wanted to get into this afternoon, the idea that there are maybe some 21st century knots, not that there's nothing, there's nothing new under the sun, we know that to be true, but surely this idea that, that truth is truth is truth for whoever wants to believe whatever has kind of been something that's been promoted a lot. And the church has had to kind of adapt to that. We've kind of sometimes made concessions that maybe we shouldn't have made for people. And say, okay, well, well, we'll try to be a little giving and graceful here. And the next thing you know, we have compromised. And we have begun to live out that God's word is not truth. Salvation's not a big deal. God's word doesn't tell you. It's not the only way. What about some knots in the devil's tail about salvation in particular? Number two, regarding becoming a Christian. You know, John chapter 8 and verse 24, Jesus says that you must believe. If you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. The devil would say, you shall not die in your sins if you don't believe. That's not a big deal. And yet so many in the world talk about belief. So many religious people talk about belief. So maybe they don't say, well, maybe you don't need to repent. Remember in Acts chapter 17 and verse number 30, as Paul is preaching that great sermon there at Mars Hill in Athens, Acts 17 and verse 30, truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. But you know, repentance is a weakness, right? You're saying you're wrong, and I can't tell you you're wrong, and you can't tell me I'm wrong, so surely that's not true, right? God does not command all men everywhere to repent because we don't want to show any weakness. We don't want to have to say we're wrong or we're sorry. These are lies that the world feeds us, that the devil feeds us. He would say, you don't need to confess Jesus as Lord. Remember Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 through 33. Jesus talks about this idea of confessing him. We know that we need to confess him in the plan of salvation as we think about becoming a Christian. We don't confess our sins necessarily in the same way when we're baptized and added to the church. We confess him as Lord. Yeah, in a sense, we confess him because we're repenting of them. Maybe we're realizing these mistakes and we need to change. But we confess him as Lord. He says, if you do that, you can be saved. But the devil says, you do not need to confess Jesus as Lord. Here's where it even shifts a little bit more, right? Because many people say, well, you just believe. You don't have to confess, just believe. And here's another knot, another tying up, another confusing part for many, many people. And of course, regarding becoming a Christian, the devil would have us say, you do not have to be baptized to be saved. You just believe. And if you want to repent, you can repent. If you want to confess, you can confess. <clears throat> but if you'll just believe, that'll be enough. Brother Don Blackwell had a great lesson on Tuesday night at the Dunlap Congregation for their gospel meeting. He said as he began that, that he had heard it from someone else at polishing the pulpit. 
It was done by Brother Eric Owens, and as you know, we have the ability to watch that through our uh, the subscription that our elders pay for PTP 365, and let me just make a plug for that again. You can go on there and watch Brother Eric's lesson. You can find Don's online as well. It's talking about the saddest scene ever seen. And it's the idea that there will be many, many people who have been told to believe, but not repent, but not confess, and not be baptized. And those people who have simply believed and believe the devil's not, that you don't have to be baptized, will then have a very sad scene on their hands one day. When they think they've done what God has said do, and they find out that that's not. They've been misled by someone. So many ways in which the devil misleads us and the world, especially regarding salvation. We've said regarding salvation not being a big deal. We've talked about God's word. We've talked about the Christian being, becoming a Christian. But number three, let's notice the knot in the devil's tail regarding the value of the church. The church, the value of the church and how that connects to salvation. You know, some people would say the church is not Jesus' body. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 through 23, Paul emphasizes this idea of the church and the body. And he put all things under his feet and gave him, that's Jesus, to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The devil says, nah, it's not a big deal. The church is not a big deal. He might even go so far as to say, let you believe, if you've been baptized, that's okay. You believe, but you don't have to see any value in the church. You don't have to be connected. All you need is Jesus. All you need is yourself. Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. That's all you need. But there is value in the church. It is the body of Jesus. He would have us believe that Jesus is not the Savior. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 23 we know that there in Ephesians 5.23, Paul is talking about marriage, but what's the connection that he makes between marriage and the church, marriage and Christ and the church? For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. The devil would have us to believe surely he is not the Savior of the body. He would have us to believe that you are not members of one another. Think about Romans chapter 12 and verse number 5. Romans 12 and verse 5, Paul is talking here, encouraging them to think about the body, how we're all members, we're all different, but we're all one body. So we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. This is the one maybe that's really got to us a lot lately. Maybe this is the one that's really hit home for us in the last two years as we were separated for a while and people began to think, you know what? I believe that. It's not a big deal. The church is not that important. I can do it on my own. We are not members one of another. And yet here the exact opposite is, is said in the word of God. That we are members of one another. We do have to rely on one another. There is value in the church. He would have us believe the church is just not that important. You remember in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15, he would talk about this idea. Paul would write to Timothy and remind him that the church is the pillar and the ground of truth. I don't want to get off chasing too many rabbit trails here, but don't most of us agree that when we think about our community, when we think about our society, when we think about our country, we would agree that it seems like most people have left the church as being the pillar and ground of truth. And they've put their hope and their faith in the government. They put their hope and faith in themselves as opposed to God and Jesus and the church. 
And when each one does what is right in his own eyes, you know, I've been teaching judges at Greens Lake Road on Monday nights, and that's the theme, right, in the book of Judges, that each person does what is right in their own eyes, not turning to the church, not turning to God, not turning to his word. And as we have strayed from that pillar and ground, that foundation, the devil would have us to believe the church is just not that important. And then we think, well, salvation must not be a big deal either. And we believe these knots in the devil's tail. We're going to come back this afternoon. We'll stop at number four there for right now. We're going to come back this afternoon and talk about some more, a few more, and we'll talk about some first century ones. If you'd like to take your Bible and put that up and maybe get your songbook out as we're about to extend heaven's invitation here at the end of this lesson, it may also be as we think about this lesson and we think about this idea of the devil's knots, it may also be that the devil has a knot around your heart. You remember in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 11, Paul would write, put on the whole armor of God. Boy, there's so much there, isn't it? We can't just put on the helmet. We can't just put on the breastplate. We can't just pick and choose what we want. We must put on the whole armor of God. Why? That you may be able to withstand against the wiles of the devil. Friends, Brethren, it's possible this morning that the devil has a knot around your heart, but you can remove it. Don't get tied up in Satan's knots. Follow God's word. Understand that there is a God, that you can be lost, that there is just one way, that salvation is a big deal. It's why we stop at the end of our lesson and maybe we shift our thinking just a little bit from whatever we've just maybe talked about to extend heaven's invitation, to sing a song that's been selected that through its words we might encourage you to realize that these things are important, that the devil is our opponent. We have to know him, understand him, and avoid the wiles of the devil, the schemes of the devil, the ways in which he wants to walk around, that he will walk around seeking to devour us. We've noticed just a few in kind of an overview sense this morning. And if you're here this morning and you're not a child of God, become one. We always try to emphasize that if you are unsure about what you've seen or heard or you'd like to study the plan of salvation, we would do that with you as soon as possible. It's that important of a decision. Don't delay. Become a Christian. Be added to the church by the Lord so that you can begin to live faithfully. Because here's the beautiful part. As I look around this room standing up here, I realize that I'm not fighting this opponent alone. As being a part of the church and understanding the value, I have you to help me. And you encourage me and I want to encourage you so that we can do this together. As you put on Christ in baptism and you're added to the church, you begin to live faithfully with the encouragement of brothers and sisters in Christ. But none of us are perfect. Maybe we take our armor off and we sit it down for a moment. We fall short. We mess up. Maybe you're here this morning and you are a child of God, but you've wandered away. You've, be you've begun just a little bit to believe the knots in the devil's tail and to kind of follow with what he's saying. And maybe you've wandered away from the Lord. As we said just a moment ago, it is our sins that separate us from God. And maybe you need to repent of those and confess those and make it known because we know that the Lord is faithful to forgive us. And we are absolutely thankful for this moment in time and for this body that we can encourage you with the words of this song, even now as we stand together and as we sing.
Good afternoon. We're thankful for our time to study together this afternoon. Thankful for the good day that we've had so far and the opportunity to encourage ourselves. Hope that uh, we'll enjoy a few more moments of study here as we think about the time that we've spent in what we've studied and the work week that lies ahead, the things that we all have going on, whether it be work or life or whatever it might be. We want to try to encourage and fortify ourselves for the things that we'll face. We're certainly missing some of our young people up here this morning. Uh, but as you look at your, or this afternoon, but as you look at your uh, outline, if you have one in the title, I mentioned this this morning, uh, the idea of uh, 21st century knots in the devil's tail. Uh, I was kind of thinking about the fact that the young people might be gone and we might could touch on a few things uh, maybe that, you know, would be a little different. But I also want to finish up where we didn't get to this morning with some of the points. We may just touch real briefly on some of the things that we face today. As we said, uh, the wise man would write and say that there's nothing new under the sun. So in some ways, these are not exactly 21st century things. But we do sometimes imagine, or, or not imagine, I guess, but realize uh, that life is a little different now. Things maybe are a little easier to access, or uh, we think about the, the internet and, and social media and those kinds of things and how much good they can do, and yet how easy it can be for us to get bogged down in a lot of things. Just to be honest with you, again, that was one of the things that we talked about yesterday in the men's retreat, or our brother Eric Garner talked about, was the idea of fellowship, and even Denny on Friday night talked a little bit about the idea uh, that we get so caught up, we have such a connection, we think, with people. Uh, through our phones and things, but we also then have connection taken away because we get caught up in those uh, devices and, and even the idea of looking down as opposed to, to looking up and that kind of thing. So uh, we will touch on a, a couple of those things. But as I mentioned, uh, this is uh, a lesson that's entitled Knots in the Devil's Tail. This morning we talked about that the, the devil would have us believe there is not a God, that you will not be lost, that there is not just one way. And that salvation is not a big deal. But this afternoon, I'd like for us to consider three other things. The first is that you need not, you need not live faithfully. The idea of sanctification, of course. Another not in the devil's tale is that you need not to live faithfully. That comes in particular with the devil's tale and the idea of Christian growth. You know, in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 18, we're told to grow in the grace of and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We're to grow. The devil would have us to believe that you do not grow. You do not have to grow in the knowledge or grace of Jesus Christ. That's not a big deal. We look at our children or grandchildren or whatever it might be and look at them and think they have to grow. If they don't grow, we take them to the doctor. But so often with our spiritual walk, it's not that big a deal. We'll overlook it or we'll think not much of a problem. We'll say it's not a big deal if we don't grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Peter would write similar words in 1 Peter. Some preachers that have said through the pandemic, it's also very dangerous. We were, if we're not careful, such as even we were set up here. We were not set up to live stream, you know, in, in February and March, April of 2020. And so we might encourage you and say, you could go watch these other places that do, or you could go take advantage of these places. But some people would just be at home and turn on the television, or they might pull up something else, and it might be a place that looks real exciting, and maybe they've got lots of things going on, and the preacher's real passionate and dressed real nice and, and sounds real smooth, and next thing you know, somebody's lean, being led astray. Because, you know, it's, it's not the Word of God. It's just whatever I can find. It's whatever is good. Whatever is easiest might be the route that I choose to take. But the devil would have us to say, have us believe, do not desire the word of God. But Peter's very clear. If we are babes, and many of us are still babes in some way, 
Maybe your age is a little bit older, but you say, you know, I feel like I still need to keep growing. Maybe I still have some milk that I'm desiring after, but we certainly need to desire the word. That's how we're going to grow. You know, this morning we made mention of one thing. If you have your Bible, turn over to John 15. This morning we made mention of one thing in the effect of that sometimes God has said not. God has tied some knots and the devil actually unties them. And so here's one of those cases in John 15 in verse number 4. Jesus is giving this beautiful example of the vine and the branches. Whether you have a garden or not here in the south, you do understand this concept. The idea of being connected to the branch and connected to the tree is wonderful. And Jesus is talking about being the true vine. In John 15 and verse 4, he says, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. So here God has tied a knot. He has said that you cannot. You cannot bear fruit of yourself or on your own. And the devil would untie that to say, oh, sure, you can be fruitful on your own. It's not hard. It's not a big deal. You don't need anybody else. You don't need the elders telling you what to do. You don't have to listen to anything. You can do it. You can do it on your own. And so the devil unties that and gives us this false idea that it's not a big deal and that we can be fruitful on our own. That's an untying. And the tying, of course, regarding Christian growth is that maybe we don't have to grow. Maybe we don't have to desire. When we think about living faithfully, not only, number one, there is, is there the idea of Christian growth, but connected to living faithfully, another not is the idea of worldliness. You remember in James chapter 4 and verse 4, James speaks a very strong word, James 4, 4, adulterers and adulteresses. Have you ever called anybody a name before? Most of us have. Hopefully, as we've gotten to be adults, maybe we do it less than when we were children. But we know sometimes when we attack somebody with a name, we're, we're cutting, right? We're biting. We're kind of being sharp. And James here is writing by inspiration, is very directly saying, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So the devil, one of the devil's knots is to say the friend of the world is not the enemy of God. You can do both. You can straddle the fence. There doesn't have to be sort of this line of demarcation. No, James says if you're a friend of the world, then you're not a friend of God's. But the devil would kind of twist that. After all, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24, you can serve two masters, right? That's kind of an untying there. Jesus says you cannot. It's not possible. And some of us have tried, have we not? We've tried to, to live both lives. We've tried to be a friend of the world and a friend of God. We've tried to serve two masters. And usually it just runs us down to the point that we hit rock bottom. We fall completely away. But the devil would untie that and say, oh, sure you can. It's okay if you do this on Sunday and if you do this on Monday and Tuesday and maybe Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. It's okay. You can do both. That won't affect you at all. After all, we're all just sinners, Right? We're all just sinners. That's not a big deal. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. I've talked with several people about this already this morning. We talked about it in our kind of young adult college class. And then uh, somebody else and I were talking about it after the services this morning, I think. But we were making mention of the fact that, that, you know, there's some good lessons sometimes to remind us that Christians, as Christians, we should probably not walk around saying, well, I'm just a sinner. I'm just a sinner. We need to be fully aware that we do sin and that we do sometimes fall short. But to put on this idea that I am constantly sinning or I'm just a terrible sinner is not the message that God would have us to, to live out. 
<coughs> excuse me, uh, I heard one preacher say, I kind of messed it up in class this morning, but the idea that sin is a place that I don't live in, I'm just passing through. I think that's a pretty good way of describing it. As a Christian, yes, I might pass through sin. I might mess up and kind of make a mistake, but I'm not living there. That's not my dwelling place. And I think that's the message that we need to understand. But the devil would say, you know, you can live in sin and still go to heaven. You're right. We're all sinners. So you can just keep on sinning and still go to heaven. In fact, Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16, talking about the lust of the flesh. He would say you can and should fulfill the lust of the flesh. By the way, just turn your television on, right? I talked about football for just a moment this morning. It was on at our house most of the day yesterday. And if I ever have it on, I've probably told you this before, and I walk out of the room, and then I hear my name yelled from the other room by my wife who says, what are you watching? And I'm saying the football game. And not the commercials between the football game, right? All those kinds of things. The world is constantly screaming at us to simply fulfill the lust of the flesh. And you know, if you've watched television at all, it's not just maybe the beer commercials or anything like that anymore. It can be any number of things that will use this idea <clears throat> of doing what you want to do. Fulfill the lust, and, lust of the flesh and it will be just fine. You can, you should, everyone else is doing it. Do you remember in Luke chapter 14, when we think about worldliness, Luke chapter 14, the devil would have us believe that, that you don't have to forsake everything. John 4, or excuse me, Luke 14. Luke 14, verses 27 and 33. Jesus makes this very plain statement. Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Verse 33, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Here's another one of those untines. You cannot be unless you forsake all. The devil would say, oh, you can. You don't need to forsake all things. Do you know how hard you've worked for what you have? Do you know how you need to take care of your family and have enough stuff and enough food and clothes and all these things? I mean, sure, we need some of that, but no, it's not a big deal. It's okay for sin to have dominion over you to rule in your life. You know, Sunday, it's just an hour, maybe two, maybe three, if you're really into that. Wednesday night, it's just an hour. That's the least amount of your life. It's all right that sin kind of reigns over you. It's not a big deal at all. You don't need to forsake everything. So when it comes to living faithfully, we think about Christian growth. We think, secondly, about worldliness. Also, we think about faithful Christian living. Again, John 14, or John 14 this time, not Luke, excuse me, but John 14 and verse 15. Jesus says very plainly, if you love me, keep my commandments. The world is all about love. The devil says, as long as you love, and as long as you love God, you don't need to keep his commandments. His commandments, that's a lot. And you know what you come off as? You come off as holier than thou if you keep those commandments. That's too much. Don't worry about it. Just love and just love God. Don't worry too much about faithful Christian living because you cannot fall from grace, right? That's one that hits a lot of people. They hear that not in the devil's tale, his story, and they believe it. I can't fall from grace. I know that I have simply done what I was told to do, I've done my best, and that's it. And God's going to take care of the rest. I, I cannot fall. I cannot be lost. And yet the message of the Bible is totally different from that. You need not live faithfully. That's what the devil would say. But we know that's not the message of God. All right, depending on how you're counting here, we're up to number six or number two this afternoon. But the, another knot in the devil's tail is that there will not be a judgment. There will not be a judgment. If you have your Bibles, turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 
You may know that that is one of the great places that we think about the resurrection of Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's actually 58 verses long. A great long, beautiful chapter talking about the risen Christ and our glorious body and our final victory. 1 Corinthians 15 verses 20 and 22. Christ is risen from the dead. Verse 22, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. Another knot in the devil's tail regarding here this judgment is that Christ is not risen from the dead. There are some people in the days of the, the early church that believe that Christ had not risen from the dead. There would be no resurrection. They'll say the dead shall not be raised at the end of time. Live and let live. Do what you want because the dead shall not rise. And yet the words of Jesus, the words of Paul, in many places remind us that the dead shall be raised at the end of time. Hebrews chapter 9, excuse me, Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27. The Hebrew writer reminds us that it is appointed unto man once to die. And the, the devil would have you believe that it's not. It's not appointed to man to die. That's not a big deal because you just need to keep living how you want to live. There's not going to be a judgment there's not anything for you to worry about. When we're dead, we're just dead, and you should live it up while you are here. We mentioned Acts 17 and verse 30 today, but also in Acts 17 and verse 31, there in that sermon, Paul talks about not only repentance, but he also talks about judgment in verse 31. God commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained, he has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. Have you heard it before? I think I've shared it in one previous lesson maybe. But that Paul here is not preaching the Old Testament. He's not preaching to Jews who need to understand the Old Testament. He's speaking to Gentiles. He's speaking to those who are worldly, who have not known God. So he preaches about God. And that God has commanded all men to repent. And he's proved that and talks about that through the raising of Jesus from the dead because of the day of judgment that is coming. The devil would have us believe God has not appointed a day of judgment. We will not all stand in judgment. Do you remember 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10 where Paul says that very simple thing? For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. We will be judged. There will be a day of judgment. That sounds so harsh. It sounds so hard to hear. But for the faithful Christian, it's not scary. It's not something to be feared. Even as we mentioned over the last week, we mentioned our brother Kali and also our brother Nichols that passed away, two great gospel preachers. And, and if you had a chance or were able, I know brother Kali's was streamed, but, but listen to some of the things that were said. And if you've ever been to a funeral like that, where nothing but wonderful reminders of a faithful life lived are there, and if you've ever been to another kind of funeral where the preacher maybe is struggling to find something about someone who was not faithful, who maybe never became a Christian, it's two totally different ways of thinking and approaching death. The day of judgment is coming. The day of judgment is coming. But that's not to be feared unless you are unfaithful, unless you are not a child of God. I think about the ones even of this congregation who we have lost and certainly just in our time here. It's sad, brings us pain and sorrow, but it's so different when we think about standing before the judgment seat of Christ 
but to receive the things that we've done in the body that are good and the way that we've been faithful. There is a crown of life, a crown of righteousness. We should long for that. There will be a day of judgment, even though the devil tries to say there will not be. We can be thankful for that. All right, then number three this afternoon, or I guess number seven in total from this morning, <coughs> the soul is not immortal. The soul is not immortal. That is one of the knots in the devil's tail. If you have your Bible, you can look in Matthew chapter 25 and be reminded, first of all, that some people would have us believe, the devil would have us uh, believe and be taught that the wicked shall not go into eternal punishment. Matthew 25, verse 46. 25, verse 46, Jesus says, And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Seems pretty clear. And yet the devil would say, eh, it's not. The wicked shall not go into eternal punishment. Even things like a, a total annihilation, uh, not eternal punishment, not eternal suffering. Uh, the wicked shall not be cast into the lake of fire. Do you remember in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 15? Revelation 20 and verse 15, the idea of being cast into the lake of fire and brimstone? Eh, don't worry about that. Do you know Revelation? It's not even real, right? It, or maybe they think these things have already occurred or something like that. Don't worry, the wicked shall not be cast into the lake of fire. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 9. 2 Thessalonians 1, 9. The wicked shall not be punished. Don't worry about that. When Paul, uh, when Paul writes to those in Thessalonica and gives those Really, they are kind of troubling words that verse 8, inflaming fire, taking vengeance, that the Lord Jesus will return and in flaming fire take vengeance. That sounds very harsh. Verse 9, these shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. But the devil says, not the case. The wicked shall not be punished. And even, of course, as we think about Revelation 2.10, he would say, the, revel the faithful will not receive a crown of life. Revelation 2.10, be thou faithful unto death there at the end of that verse, and I will give you the crown of life. He'll say the faithful will not receive a crown of life. Again, it's all made up. It's not real. There is no God, as we've already talked about this morning. You don't need to live faithfully or worry about a judgment because the soul, it's not immortal. You don't have to worry about that crown of life. After all, God can lie to you. This is another one of those untimes, Titus chapter 1 and verse 2, that God cannot lie. Titus 1, 2, God says God cannot lie. That's what Paul writes by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The devil would untie that and say, oh, God can lie. So all those things, they're not true. Also, God is slack concerning his promise. 2 Peter 3, 9, right? Peter says God is not slack concerning his promise. How, Peter? As some men count slackness. But he's long-suffering. I've shared with you, I know I've shared this with you before. Sometimes we mistake the fact that we wake up to live another day for the fact that God must not mean what he says. And I, I believe that there are some people, maybe they don't utter it out loud, but by their actions, they wake up each morning and say, I know the despicable things I did yesterday. I know the partying and excitement I had last night, and I'm still alive. Surely God doesn't mean what he says. He must be lying in his word. He's slack concerning his promises because I'm allowed to live however I want, and it's not a big deal. And, of course, again, one more time from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 58. Paul says that we need to continue to labor, that we need to continue to be steadfast 
immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, he says, knowing that your labor is not in vain. I don't care how hard it is. I don't care how down you get. I don't care how much of the world it seems is against you. We feel like we're in such a minority here in these United States sometimes. I don't care because it's not in vain. Paul says it's not laboring in vain. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. The devil would say, your labor is just a waste of your time. You know that majority wins. You know that if everybody else believes it and lives it, that's what's going to be true. So quit wasting your time. Quit wasting your effort. Those are some of the knots that the devil tries to untie when it comes to this idea of the fact that the soul is not immortal. Real quick before we kind of conclude these thoughts, one of the things that I did consider mentioning or kind of the route that I thought about taking with this lesson, and again with the title, uh, as I gave it to Faith on Friday to put in the bulletin as she was making it up and, and printing them, uh, was the idea of 21st century knots. Really, we could kind of lump the, all these together, and I think maybe the knot might be is that they do not matter. That's what the world wants us to think. The, they do not matter. What are, what's the they? What are we talking about? Well, things like gender, right? Gender roles. That, 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 that doesn't matter. You can be what you want to be, uh, and the kids can be what they want to be. They can claim to be anything that they want to claim. <coughs> and so it doesn't really matter. And I'm afraid that's what the world has got us to buy into, and I think that the devil wants us to believe. It doesn't matter. What about the idea of abortion? What about the idea of things like critical race theory? And, and I kind of started to go into some of these things in more detail. Uh, I don't mean to just kind of leave it hanging. If you ever like to talk about some of this more, maybe we can have lessons in the future on some of them. But, but all of these things, they, they do matter. They're shaping the way our world works. They're shaping the way in particular, and again, I kind of had this thought, knowing that our young people would be gone. They're shaping the minds of our young people. Some of your children are in school. Some of your children may be private school or homeschooled. It doesn't matter. Again, there's a television, there are phones, there are devices, there are all kinds of things out there fighting for attention. And what they want to promote is maybe another knot in the devil's tail that it does not matter. You believe what you want to believe about things, and I'll believe what I want to believe about things, and that's all well and good. And I just would like to challenge you for just a moment to remember, I think it does matter. I think the Bible teaches us that it does matter. The idea of of the traditional roles in the family, and not even just traditional. People use that word and they kind of frown at it. But the biblical roles in the family, the husband and the wife, the father and the mother, gender, all of these things. I did read one uh, quote that I kind of wanted to share with you about some of these things. You know, we live in a world that promotes the idea of cancel culture, right? It's a big kind of word. We're just going to cancel people if we don't agree with them. <coughs> the funny thing is... <coughs> that people would have you believe that cancel culture is not a big deal, that, that you can just cancel anybody. And, and we, you know, postmodernism is that idea that you just believe what you want to believe, I'll believe what I want to believe. But cancel culture shows that the world is actually very dogmatic, right, about things. Because if you don't agree with somebody, that's when they'll cancel you, that, and kind of in that idea. So they're still drawing a line, even though they want to promote, let's not draw a line. When we draw a line about something and say, you know, God's pretty clear that homosexuality is wrong, that it's sinful, that it's against the nature of man, it's against God's design. And we can't have that belief, though. That's when you might get canceled, because even though they say you believe what you want to believe, you can't believe against what I think, right? And we kind of see that circular reasoning, the problem with that argument. So what they then try to convince us of is it doesn't matter. 
And this article that I was reading kind of shared with us the idea that, that what we've done in the church then with this idea of postmodernism and what's true is for whoever to decide is really just this simple idea that we just need to then as Christians lower our standards to just the very bare minimum. And let's accept everybody. Let's accept anything. Heard a preacher talk not too long ago about listening to some preacher's lessons. He said, it's kind of interesting if you turn on YouTube or something and you hear a preacher talk, they'll spend the first 30 minutes of the sermon on homosexuality kind of, you know, dancing around and saying, oh, well, it's, you know, it's not really that big a deal. I've got friends who are homosexuals. You know, I, I'm not, a, you know, and they'll kind of just keep kind of trying to sidestep the issue until they kind of get to the end and kind of try to say it's wrong. But they, they just keep lowering the standard until you believe it doesn't matter. And with all of these 21st century issues and with all these other things that we've already talked about, it does matter. It absolutely does matter. You know, one final passage is James chapter 4 and verse number 7. This morning we said at the conclusion, if the devil has a knot around your heart, you can remove it. James says in James 4, 7, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. If the devil you feel like has a knot around your heart, you can submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. We've already been blessed today by the wonderful examples that we have seen. One of the other knots that the devil has us to succumb to sometimes is not today. Not today. Save it. Don't worry about it. We combat that by extending heaven's invitation every time we're together, basically, here for service. Because we know that today is important because we're not promised tomorrow. And so if you're here this afternoon, if you're here today, don't say not today. If there's something amiss in your life, maybe you want to become a Christian. Maybe you want to come back to him. We would love to, to encourage you to do that. Maybe you've been considering it, but you'd like to, to make a, a change, to take that step out, to make it known to your brothers and sisters so that we can help you. We can encourage you. The devil would say not today. We would say don't delay. Become a Christian. Come back to him. Be faithful once again, even now as we stand together and as we sing. Good morning. It's good to see this good crowd. As always, we have visitors among us. We're thankful for you. I think we get to give the prize to the Groves this morning for the most visitors. They are. Uh, they have a number of visitors here with us this morning. They're camping together, and we appreciate you and invite you back any time that you have in the in the future. We'd also make mention that we plan to gather back at 1.30 this afternoon for our uh, evening worship after a time of fellowship together and lunch. If you can stay for that, you are uh, most welcome, and we very much appreciate that. Turn me down just a little bit, Heath. I'm hearing some feedback. Thank you. Today's lesson is entitled, The Joy of Fellowship. If you have your songbooks there, be turning over to song number 250. We're not going to sing this at this time. Brother Don has selected this for our closing song today, but I think I wanted, I wanted to read the lyrics of this song kind of a set the, the tone for our lesson this morning. The lesson this morning about fellowship and the lesson this afternoon about relationships, I didn't necessarily design them to go together, but I think they are intertwined, those two concepts. And as if you can be back this afternoon, we'll talk about Christian relationships and the importance of that. And I think those, again, those two concepts of fellowship and relationship uh, go together. 
Song number 250, William Bradbury penned these words in 1844. How sweet, how heavenly is the sight when those that love the Lord in one another's peace delight and so fulfill his word. When each man can feel his brother's sigh and with him bear a part, when sorrow flows from eye to eye and joy from heart to heart, when free from envy, scorn, and pride, our wishes all above, each can his brother's failings hide and show a brother's love. When love in one delightful stream through every bosom flows, when union sweet and dear esteem in every action glows, love is the golden chain that binds the happy souls above, and he's an heir of heaven who finds his bosom glow with love. As we consider those words of that, that great poem that incidentally comes from, uh, gets its basis from one of the Psalms, that's what being a child of God is all about, isn't it? We want to talk about the joy of fellowship this morning. Incidentally, this outline was borrowed from Brother Bill Greer. He preached this sermon here about five years ago, I think, in 2017. And I borrowed his outline and obviously uh, added some of my own thoughts to it and scriptures and those sorts of things. I, I don't think he would mind. I know he's listening as well. If you have your Bibles, turn in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter nine, uh, chapter 1, verse 9. That's be, that'll be the passage we'll read here in just a moment. We talk about these blessings that uh, this song talks about, blessings that we cannot fathom if we face this world's world alone. We have a reciprocal relationship with one another. We all give something, but we're all better for it. You know, I look forward to times that we can be together, such as this. I look forward to times we can be together outside of worship. We try to make opportunities for that to happen, game night, work day, all those kind of things. You know, some congregations uh, that I'm familiar with have, have, uh, have men on their staff who are involvement ministers because they realize the importance of our involvement in our lives together. That's what we want to talk about this morning. The point I hope we all will see is that we are the church. Church isn't something we just do a few times a week. It has to be part of our lives. It has to define us our Christianity, our relationship with one another, all those kind of things. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. Paul there, the inspired writer, writing to Christians, incidentally, says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the, there's our word, fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. You'll find that word fellowship a number of times in Scripture. The Greek <clears throat> word for, for fellowship is koinonia has the connotation of having all things common. We have, as Christians, have, all, have Christ in common, don't we? We have salvation in common. Paul makes mention of that here. Fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So what he, another thing he's saying there is that we have fellowship with heaven. Think about a 
uh, picture. If I had a, if we our screens were working, I would have had a slide that would have had a vertical axis, and it would have had a heaven. So we have a vertical relationship, vertical fellowship with heaven. And then on the the cross bar this way, incidentally, it looks like a cross if you draw it out, is that relationship or that fellowship we have with one another, with fellow Christians. But it is the cross that brings us together, isn't it? Isn't it wonderful to know that we as Christians have fellowship with heaven? It should be equally wonderful to know that we have a relationship with godly people. There are three benefits that come from fellowship, or at least three I want to talk about, for us to consider today. Point number one, fellowship gives us peace. Fellowship gives us peace. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 11. Paul here in his uh, final letter to the Corinthian church, he says this, Finally, brethren, farewell. Become complete. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the love, God of love and peace will be with you. Fellowship gives us peace. For us as Christians, peace is our standard of living, is it not? It should be. It's the focus we need in our lives. You know, the world in which we live in is full of conflict, isn't it? It's full of conflict, full of selfishness. We've oftentimes described it as a me, me, me world. That's where the world's focus is, isn't it? We need to be people at peace with one another. You recall Amos chapter 3 and verse 3 says, they're asked a question, can two walk together except they be agreed or at peace with one another? Recorded in Jesus' first uh, sermon that we have recorded in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, we call it the Sermon on the Mount, he begins with what we call the Beatitudes. In chapter 5 of Matthew, verse number 9, he said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons or the offspring of God. Oftentimes it's not easy to make peace, is it? We get in situations where peace is very difficult. Many years in my life I tried to be a peacekeeper. Incidentally, peacekeeping is different than peacemaking because peacekeepers never address conflict. We know that that's vitally important. But peacemakers try to work through the situation to make peace. Wouldn't it be wonderful if all the world lived like a peacemaker with that concept? That idea isn't practical, is it, in a world in which we live? But can I not make it a goal in my life to be an example of peace to those I come in contact with? Parenthetically here, I would submit until, and until we're at peace with God, we'll have a hard time being at peace with ourselves or with our fellow man. Peace, the word peace means lack of strife. I think the emphasis of peace is on reconciling. That's a, a accounting term 
reconciling, but in my way of thinking, that be, that is uh, means becoming agreed or unified, or be friends, making friends again. Thankfully, as Christians, we are reconciled back to God. Our sin has separated us from God, but we are reconciled. We make friends again with God through our obedience to His Word. We can live in peace in that relationship. Every interaction that we have where in conflict may happen. Let's determine to do all that we can to make the situation better. How many family problems, workplace problems, church problems could be made better if we just institute a, the attitude of peacefulness and trying to build people up rather than tear people down? few scriptures, we won't take the time to turn to them, but you can jot them down for your future uh, study. I'll make mention of them for you. Concerning peacefulness and peace, Colossians 3, verse 15. Paul there says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. The word rule there is the root word for what we get, the word umpire. You know, we can argue with the umpire all that we want to. But it's not going to make any difference, is it? 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 13. In the context here of this passage, Paul is talking about respect that we need to show to the eldership. But he ties up the thought with the instruction to live in peace with one another. Can you imagine serving in an eldership where the congregation is not at peace? You know, our brother Bob, he prays a lot of times that he thanks God for the unity and for the harmony that we have here in this congregation, and that's right. We need to be thankful for that, and we need to be continuing to strive for that as well. Th the third scripture I wanted you to jot down was Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 14. There the Hebrew writer says, Pursue peace with all men. You know, the concept of this word pursue is seeking something with diligence, not just a casual attitude. Brother Bill used in his sermon the example of a penny. If we lose a penny, how much time and effort are we going to try to find that? Not very much. I pick up pennies in parking lots all the time. I know my kids used to make fun of me for doing that. But I was taught pennies make dollars. And I pick up those pennies. But if we lost a $100 bill, what would our attitude be? It'd be more serious, wouldn't it? It'd be more diligent. we put more effort into that, not just a casual looking. That's what the Hebrew writer wants us to know about pursuing peace with all men. So point number one, fellowship gives us peace. Point number two in our lesson this morning, fellowship gives us love. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 22. 1 Peter 1, verse number 22. Again, Peter writing to Christians. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Peter is saying our love must not be hypocritical or fake but genuine and fervent 
You know, my simple definition of love is seeking what's best for the other person. Parents meet the needs of their children, whatever those needs are, don't they? Why is that? Because we love them. I find it interesting here he used the word fervently. It's not a word we often use in our modern way of, of speaking. Fervently means the opposite of I just don't care. It means I do care. Jesus used the example, and you find this, we won't take the time to look, turn to it, but Luke chapter 10, verses 25 and following, of a Samaritan man riding down the road on his donkey. He looks over and sees a man lying there beaten, robbed, and left for dead. He says to himself, I really don't care. I'm already late for my appointment. Is that what he said? No. He says, I do care. He cares fervently, and his actions prove his level of caring. You know the rest of that story. How he picks the man up, takes him to an inn, pays for his care. He says, I'm going on my way, but when I come back, if there's anything else I owe you, I'll take care of it. That's a picture of fervent. I think another picture of what loving fervently is about Take your eyes back to the cross. Brother Jeff quoted John 3, verse 16 in our communion time together. God so loved that he gave. He loved the world with so much fervency that he gave his son. That's the magnitude of love that Peter is talking about here in 1 Peter 1 and verse 22. As Christians... The more we are together, the more we appreciate one another, learn from one another, strengthen one another, and our love grows as a result. You know, the picture or the example, if you want to call it that, I think it's a good example, a pattern that we oftentimes preach and teach about the first century church. We read there towards the end of Acts chapter 2. They had all things in common. They were in fellowship with one another breaking of bread and prayers and the apostles' doctrine. They didn't have the New Testament in written form. They were going by in instruction of inspired men. But you know something? That, that church that they were part of, that lifestyle that they, that they submitted to, it meant something to them. So it, they were willing to meet each other's needs, if that meant selling property, if that meant giving up something that they loved, if that meant any kind of sacrifice, they were willing to do it because they loved one another. And you know it's something as a result of that. Scripture tells us that people saw that. People from the outside looking in saw what was going on with those people. And what do you think happened? The church grew. I would submit for our thinking that we can apply that same pattern, that same attitude of fellowship and love and peace in our world today, and we'll see results from it. Point number three in our lesson this morning, fellowship gives us strength. 
Look at Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 9. We've been studying the book of Ephesians in our adult class here on Sunday morning. And it's a wonderful letter to the church, and we can gain much from it. But in chapter 3, verse number 9, beginning, again, Paul, the inspired writer, says, And to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ. Verse 10, To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. He is talking about here, he continues on, verse 13, Therefore I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you. He was writing this from prison, which is your glory. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Strengthened with power. New King James says might. I think King James Version says power. That's the Greek word for the word dynamo, where we get our word dynamite. Paul is praying there for those people to be strengthened with power and for us by association today. We draw strength from one another. We are blessed with a number of older folks here at Saudi. If you know some of them well, you know that they struggle to be here each week due to health problems. Their desire to worship and fellowship with us outweighs those struggles. And you know something? That strengthens me. That makes me want to keep on keeping on. We have a good number of young folks. Many of them are sitting down here at the front. Some of them are out today. They could be anywhere else in this world, but they want to be here. They don't want to miss. And you know something? That strengthens me. I hope that you come to realize and experience the joy of fellowship. We've touched on three things that fellowship gives us or provides. <clears throat> love, peace, uh, peace, love, and strength. I need that in my life. How about you? You know, I've been associated with this church a good part of my life. First as a teenager, then as a young adult, now as an older adult. It has blessed and continues to bless my life. A host of faithful Christians have been here and built a legacy and a heritage of faithfulness and fellowship together. That lives on today. You know, 100 years from now, most of us will have gone on to our reward. But if the Lord delays his coming, the legacy we're building today will be here, blessing people, providing peace, love and strength to those present through their Christian fellowship together. I hope this lesson has been an encouragement to you. I hope it will help you to appreciate 
the fellowship that we have here. I hope that you will be determined to be more of an active part if you're not already in our fellowship together. Look for ways to be with your brothers and sisters in Christ and appreciate. Look to, for ways to appreciate one another even more. Draw strength from one another. Be at peace with one another and love one another. You know, the word, one of the passages we read about talked about the family of God. Do you think of this body of people here that meets here regularly as your family? I hope that you do. I know many of you ha have the feeling that this, that you're closer to this group of people than you are your own physical family. The ideal situation is to have your physical family here and be part of your spiritual family. That's something we all strive for. But do you need a family today? Do you need a group of people that loves you and cares for you and works to strengthen you and to help you along the way to heaven? We would invite you this morning, if you're not a Christian, would you not believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Jesus said, except you believe, you'll die in your sins. Based upon that belief, would you not be willing to put that into action, to repent of your sins, confess the wonderful name of Christ before this group, continue to confess him by the way you live your life each day till the Lord calls you home. Be baptized in water, meeting the cleansing blood that washes away your sin. Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Mark 16, verse 16. As Christians, there's a way that God has prescribed for us to live. He wants us to behave as Christians. He wants us to continue to develop our faithfulness. He said in Revelation 2 and verse 10, Be thou faithful unto death, I will give you a crown of life. He also wants us to broadcast. That means we'll share the gospel with those we come in contact with. Through our actions, through our words, through our love, through our way of living. If you have a need to respond to the invitation this morning, would you come as we stand as we sing?